On this episode, I talk about the Zodiac Killer. I discuss a solved Clearwater disappearance. I ponder what happened in a San Francisco murder. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including why so many disappearances. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for April 17th, 2023. All right, let's get this done. It's the live show for April 17th, 2023. And that means if you did not get an extension, your taxes should be turned in by now. Uh, if not, uh, I, I send a lot of luck to you as you go on the run from the IRS. So good luck to you. But um, my taxes got done about a month ago and I was very happy to get them done well before the deadline. And nobody is more amazed than I am that I got them done um, beforehand. But I got a lot of help from a listener. I I see her in the chat. Uh, Kathy uh, was invaluable and making sure I did things the right way, because as I continue to say, I am too good looking to go to jail. So hope everybody had a great week. It seems like I uh, was just at this microphone uh, a, a week ago, or yesterday, it feels like yesterday, that I was doing the last live show. I do have, have a spectacular uh, show for you. As uh, the description says, uh, yes, one of the things I will be talking tonight about is the Zodiac Killer. And it's been kind of on my mind because I have Paramount Plus and the movie Zodiac is on there. I don't think it was on there when I got Paramount Plus a couple months ago, but you know how these things kind of come and go. And I've played that movie over and over and over quite a bit uh, over the past week while doing work, um, sitting on the couch over there where I do most of my unfound work if I'm not recording. And I've been reading about it. Uh, You must understand that the movie itself has a lot of errors, but it's a, uh, of course, it's, um, you know, taking a lot of liberties with things, but greatly skews uh, the point of view in a particular direction. And I'm here to offer my own thoughts on it, given having watched the movie and having read a lot of stuff uh, in the meantime to get ready for this live show. Kathy, who is the expert, says tax due date is tomorrow since the 15th fell on a Saturday. I should have known there was some loophole, Kathy. I should have known. But let's see who's in here. Um, nephew Charles, what's going on? Rock on, Charles. Say hi to the boys uh, to me uh, while this live show is going on. And Valerie, what's going on? I was sick last week. Wow. All right. So, Valerie, sorry to hear that. Deborah, Karen, 
Lori says she was watching the Letitia stock trial most of the day with Letitia's daughter testifying. I have to admit I've not followed any of that. Barbara, there's Kathy. Uh, Sharon, Shree, uh, the moderator. What is going on, Shree? Um, texted back and forth a little bit with Shree today. Twinkle, Angelic, Darkness. Wow. Okay. Oh, we'll have to check that movie out. It's a great movie. Um, despite its errors and things, uh, I th- still think it's a worthy piece of cinema. Um, of course, you're watching Robert Downey Jr. and Mark Ruffalo before they got involved in the MCU. But there they are in that movie. I think that movie came out in 2007. And of course, later, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was Iron Man, Mark Ruffalo the Hulk. And little did anybody know when they were doing that movie together back then uh, what would transpire just in a few years. Um, Katie, hello, Katie. What's going on? Shree uh, says, I didn't know that, Kathy, and I was in self-induced procrastination. Panic. Say that three times fast, Shree. Wow, Grant coming to us from New Kensington. Wow, okay. New Kensington, been there many times. I think, Grant, you know that uh, uh, maybe you don't know that I am from Leechburg, went to Leechburg High School, class of 89, and uh, went to college with some people who went to Valley High School. And um, so somebody from New Kensington, well, uh, good to see you in here, Grant. Uh, welcome. I don't know if you've ever joined in before, but uh, welcome to the live show. Yeah, I was doing my federal state tax returns. Okay, Kathy talking about her taxes. Kate Klein, hi from Largo. Got my unfound t-shirt today. Love it. Right here in Largo, Florida. Um, Kate Klein, right here in Largo, Florida somewhere, I guess. Which is right down the street, which is where my brother and his wife live. Grant, yes, I've listened to your podcast. Thank you very much, Grant. Always neat to hear from people from the Alley Kiski Valley. And maybe Grant, you know, we've, um, I have covered a few disappearances, uh, from that area. In fact, one from New Kensington, I think within the past year to year and a half. And then there's coffee. What's going on? Coffee. Good to see. I want to tell you coffee. I always enjoy getting your emails just kind of out of the blue. Um, so I appreciate, uh, sending me messages on your thoughts on things. Uh, I've listened to two old disappearances this week, okay? And Clay Klein says, Largo, Florida. Wow. We may run into each other at a a Publix or something sometime, Kay Klein. All right. Um, And uh, it's because, as you know, I'm right over here, just south of Sand Key. All right. So that's everybody's in. I want to remind everybody to give this video a thumbs up. Let's make sure we get as many thumbs up as there are viewers. And if you're not yet a subscriber to this channel, please hit the bottom, uh, the, the button in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. And if you are listening to this as a podcast, please consider, still consider um, becoming a YouTube channel subscriber. Sign up, hit the bell. So when um, videos such as this one, the live show comes on, it will remind you. And then just spread the word about everything that goes on at Unfound, the podcast that you can find on Spotify, iTunes, everywhere else. And it is one of the few true crime podcasts 
that also has its own YouTube channel. And you've seen some of the ways that I've used it since the YouTube channel got started, I would say about five years ago, something like that. So thumbs up, join, subscribe. And like I said, join that button. That button is below the screen. Uh, but if you're watching on a phone, then you might not see the button. That's one of many ways that you can support what we do here, both the podcast and things that go on behind the scenes. Just a couple of uh, personal things before I got, I got a lot to talk about tonight. Uh, besides the Zodiac Killer, there was a long um, unsolved disappearance that uh, was resolved just within the last few days. I know a lot about this disappearance because we came very close to covering it on Unfound. I'll get into a little bit of that. Uh, a lot of things going on out there uh, that I want to talk about before we are done for the two hours. And I have some things about Unfound the, to talk about. And then, as usual, then uh, at the end, I will be telling you about this Friday's episode where, once again, Unfound goes outside of North America. Imagine that. Like, not technically two weeks in a row, but two disappearances in a row. We go outside the uh, the North American continent. So um, we'll look forward to that. I went to a wedding this uh, Saturday. I got invited uh, a uh, a diff- disc golf buddy of mine and his fiance, and I know his fiance. I've disc golf with both of them many times. Uh, they got married, and they got married at a disc golf course, technically not on the course, but in the same park where there is a well-known disc golf course here in Pinellas County called Ma- Maximo which is down at the south end of Pinellas County, right before you go across the Skyway Bridge down to Bradenton in Sarasota. Um, That was on Saturday. So I did the interview for this coming Friday on Saturday morning. Then I hopped in my car and went down there for this wedding. It was really nice. His name is Chuck. Her name is Leanne. Um, And it was good. The food was good. Of course, a lot of disc golfers that I know uh, were there and that was kind of cool. So of course we talked disc golf and a bunch of other things, but what was funny is this one guy that I know, and I've known him for a while. Um, it, we've disc golfed together. He's, you know, well, we haven't really technically disc golfed together a lot for whatever reason, even though we're in the same division, but he's kind of, um, he's not in Pinellas County. He's like over near Lakeland out that direction, going toward Orlando but he's um i think he's originally from the Pittsburgh area like i am but he's a big Pittsburgh sports fan so we've talked about that but when we saw each other on saturday at this wedding he wanted to talk about steve pankey he wanted to talk about the steve pankey trial and all that so i was like great we'll talk about it and so we spent some time and uh, and uh i i have to admit i didn't even know he was listening to the podcast and, and you know um you know, nobody, you know, uh, owes me anything uh, to listen to the podcast. It's what I do. I appreciate all the listeners, all of you and everybody else. But like the friends that I have, the disc golfers that I see all the time, I think they know what I do. But, you know, I don't really, you know, t- tell them, you know, you should really listen or anything because nobody really does that. I mean, we all have what we do in our lives and um, not one of them, for example, saying, hey, I'm a car salesman, come in and buy a car off me. You know, we just kind of stay out of that stuff. 
So it was interesting when I showed up at this wedding and his name's Patrick. Good guy. Real, real good guy. I like him a lot. And he wants to talk about Steve Pankin. I'm like, okay, we can do that. And so we talked about that for a while. And I don't think that he was aware that uh, I have my doubts about Steve Pankey's guilt. So we got into that a little bit. And so it was fun. I didn't even realize he was listening. He goes, oh, yeah, I've been listening. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very kind. And um, so you go to a wedding and uh, somebody wants to talk about uh, Steve Pankey. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe that's just the way my life is now. Totally fine. And uh, But really... I really don't bring up the podcast unless, you know, somebody asks me about it in, in that company. So uh, that was kind of cool. But the wedding was really nice. Beautiful day. They got a great day. I was a little warm out, but no rain or anything. The food was great. They had chicken wings. Imagine that. And uh, it was just, I don't know, it wasn't a very big wedding. And there's a, a pavilion there. And it was it was all good. And I was there a couple hours. And then. I came home and went back to unfound work, which is what I do. So did that. And um, speaking of disc golf, uh, I'm not playing. I haven't been going. I just haven't had time. And I'll explain that later. I really haven't been practicing very much, but went over and played with the club yesterday. Did not play very well. What are you going to do? When you don't practice and it's really not something that's a big concern at this moment, how well can you expect to play? So I'm not too disgusted about it. I know when some time gets freed up again that I'll get back in the groove uh, a little bit more than I am right now, which is fine. Um, so, uh, Coffee, you said I listened to two old disappearances this week. Coffee, why don't you detail um, maybe a couple of those old uh, disappearances that you've listened to? Uh, okay, Clay Largo, can't believe it's been five years that went by so quickly. You mean this YouTube channel? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the years are flying by, Katie. The years are absolutely flying by. I mean, we're coming up on update episode number 14, not this Friday, but the the last Friday of April. I have no idea. I, I, don't, I don't know where the time goes. Uh, Pam was talking about uh, the, the trial there. Uh, JD, what's going on? The thumbs up and the peace sign. That's uh, the, both of those are sound good to me. JD, good to see you. And Claudia Wells was one of them. Okay, right. Claudia, uh, Claudia Wells. Of course, I remember that one. Uh, there was no poll question to get right into the true crime stuff. There was no poll question this week for obvious reasons. But maybe some of you would, um, you know, what we did in the think tank yesterday evening. At patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, you really should be a supporter there. Patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And something new on Patreon now is you can just make a one-time payment and get a discount. So if you're signing up for the first time, and this is for anybody that's going to be re-upping, uh, for all the people who have been supporting uh, Patreon, you uh, can now make a one-time payment and get a discount of like 10% for the whole year. So if that sounds like something that uh, is interesting to you, maybe you've never supported Unfound through Patreon, you feel like getting a little bit of a discount if you pay up front to start, you should do that. Patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. And one of those things is the think tank and where we get in deep, 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 deep into the disappearance that was covered that week. 
Well, being that we really uh, did not cover a disappearance uh, this past Friday, I gave the think tank members the opportunity to answer some of the questions that I got asked. So I'm going to... um, Ask some of you if some of you during the chat tonight would like to answer some of these questions. I'm going to just throw them out there and you can ask answer them at your convenience. And I'll just continue to um, go down my show agenda for tonight. But some of those questions were, of course, I got asked, what are some of your favorite movies? I listed them and I finally stated like that the 1970s. I think is the best decade uh, for movies. So maybe some of you want to tell everybody your favorite films. Of course, I got this question about AI. Are you fearful of it? Where is artificial intelligence going? Also got asked, uh, what did I think happened? What do I think happened to Richard Patron and Daniel Imbo? Maybe some of you want to give your own insights into their disappearances. It's been about, what, 16 years, 17 years now. So we uh, talked about that in the think tank last night. And the other question uh, that maybe all of you feel like uh, answering tonight, once again, so favorite films, what do you think about artificial intelligence? What do you think happened with uh, Richard Patron and Daniel Inbo? And then the final one, uh, what murder slash disappearance slash incident First got you in to true crime. What was it? What was something? What happened? Suddenly I'm coughing. Uh, That got you in to true crime. Um, And there were some very interesting answers. It doesn't necessarily have to be a murder or disappearance. Maybe an incident. Uh, An incident might be something like the FBI shooting in the 1980s that caused uh, the FBI to reassess the weapons that their agents were carrying. Uh, that might be, you know, kind of, that's certainly a true crime topic. So, but it's, uh, it's an incident, I guess you might call it. So <clears throat> some of you, if you feel like it, oh my gosh, <clears throat> why am I, why am I coughing all of a sudden? I got a tickle going on. I don't know if it's, my hair or something. I don't know. But favorite films, Fearful of AI, Petch, Petroni, Imbo, and what got you in to true crime? Um, who was homeless? Then the other one was the up the rabbit hole. Once up the rabbit hole, one wasn't very family friendly. I'm not offended, but people might listen with their kids. Right? Well, sometimes they do coffee. We try to keep it as PG as, uh, as much as we can. The Green Mob, Deborah, big fan of the Green Mile. Okay, Grant uh, saying seven. That's interesting, given that I'm going to be talking about the Zodiac Killer, same director. Katie says she forgot two of her favorite films, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nets and Silence of the Lambs. Katie, do you know that my mother uh, is an extra in Silence of the Lambs? True story. They filmed it near where I grew up in Pennsylvania, and my mother went up there and was an extra. You can in the funeral home scene. She's in that funeral home scene. You can see her uh, clear as day. Uh, Mark always had an interest in true crime, but Lawrence Spear was the first one that really suckered me. And of course, if you're in Indiana, that makes all the sense. Mark uh, is joining on Patreon. YouTube different than joining on Patreon. Um, a little bit, Derek. 
Um, you just have to, what I would do is go to Patreon and patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. See what is offered there. And then you can hit the join button below and see what's offered here and see which works better for you. But I will tell you this, uh, if you'd like to take part in the think tank and some of the other higher end things, then you have to join in Patreon. Um, but you can contra- compare and contrast between going to Patreon, checking that out, checking it out here, and you can decide for yourself. Katie says, no way. She is. Pamela watched Jody Ayers' trial. That kind of got me hooked, okay? Are in the water somewhere, Kay Klein says. Doesn't seem like if the car is missing too busy, they're usually in water. It is pretty cool, Katie. MT, I think Richard and Danielle are in the water, so MT also thinks... There in the water in his truck. However, I'm very curious what information evidence makes the FBI think it was a hired hit. Now, well, sometimes the FBI gets these things wrong. So you can start answer, uh, answering some of those questions. I'm going to uh, move on. Maybe that will create some discussion amongst all of you. I continue to work on my teachable class. And in fact, um, I had a talk with my assistant, Eric. Uh, about it this past weekend, um, talking about Google ads, Facebook ads, and what will be the marketing for this cl- uh, for this teachable course. And I've continued to talk about it, but it's getting very, very close uh, to being done. I was working on the videos again today, and pretty much all the chapters are done. It just all needs to be assembled. And all the filming and recording, except for one thing, has been done. And this is a teachable course where it's going to take you from beginning to end. How it, how it is that, uh, how should it be, how you should create a podcast. You follow a step-by-step, I think there's 16 different chapters. 16 different aspects from beginning to end about how to start your own podcast. Um, and in, at the end of each section, I get into mistakes I made to have some funny stories in there. A few stories that are already public and a few that aren't. Um, but I'm hoping it's going to be very popular. If you have, if you are thinking about starting your own podcast, it does not have to be for true crime. This class could be for anybody in any genre. Uh, please check it out. Or if you think uh, that you know somebody who would be a good podcaster, has been talking about, you know, I'd like to start my own podcast, but I'm afraid. I don't know where to start. Am I going to have the time and everything? This might be a good gift for them. You might think about that. Or just tell them, hey, this guy I know does this really good podcast. You need to check his teachable course out. 16 chapters. And it's like a total of like three hours and uh, total from beginning to end, broken down into chapters with me, little snippets of me at the end. You'll see me uh, telling some funny stories from creating Unfound and things that still continue to happen with the podcast. I have to warn you, it's not going to be cheap, but it's the only money that anybody will ever have to spend to learn how to start a podcast. And it's certainly the kind of class that I wish would have been out there when I started in 2016. And even to this day, the reason that I decided I want to do this is because there, there really is nothing out there. 
you can go to some YouTube, you know, of course, for free, watch some videos. But as a guy who's been doing this over six and a half years, they certainly don't cut it. You can tell that these classes, these how-tos and everything are done by a bunch of people who don't do podcasting seriously. It's not – they don't think about it. It's not a 24-7 thing for them like it is for me. It also helps for me that I do everything. Of course, I have assistants, but when it comes to the recording, the interviewing, the writing, the editing, the marketing, the posting, all that stuff, I am the only person who does any of that. And that is very unusual in podcasting circles, that you have a host who also is also like, the technical whiz, quote unquote, too. And that has certainly helped me put this uh, teachable course together as well, because I know what it takes actually to put a podcast together. Whereas a lot of hosts out there, you may not realize this, but I know this, that really all you do do is hear their voice. And a lot of times there are people behind the scenes doing everything else. And that's why that host can't... um teach a teachable course because they don't know anything about recording or audio editing or anything like that. Whereas because I do all of that, um, I can talk about all of it uh, from GarageBand to iMovie, everything, all the different programs that I use, equipment like this microphone and everything. I could talk about all of it because I've bought all of it. I work with it almost every day and it's all going to be on this class uh called how to podcast better than anyone and it's going to be on teachable.com i'm hoping that it's going to be coming out the beginning of june so we still have about a month and a half of things to do some a lot of marketing to do and and um i hope you will check it out derek thank you very much thank you for joining this channel thank you very much it's a really good way to support what we do here and it's not costing you a lot either. You're going to get some things that other people don't get, some things uh, early. And uh, thank you, Derek, for your support. I can't thank you enough. Pamela says, uh, what's the course going to be on? It's going to be on starting a podcast from beginning to end. From concept, the whole way to making money and Patreon and PayPal and everything else. But And it's good for anything. Video games. Basket weaving, archaeology, politics, you name it. It's uh, its the hardcore part of putting a podcast together. How did I figure out how to start podcasting? Uh, trial and error, a fair, a fairy, and more error than trial, I'm here to tell you. And I talk about that in the course. Uh, Melissa says, Q&A episode is spectacular. Thank you. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, we only do it once a year. But uh, I do enjoy recording it, and all the, I thought the questions were really good this year. Got a lot of new ones. Derek, thank you very much. Uh, if you join on Patreon as well, I cannot thank you much. Derek, thank you for being a supporter. Appreciate it. I'm, I'm, uh, I'll continue to try to uh, – I will do my best to continue to uh, earn your respect. I appreciate that. Thank you. Moving on, uh, let's get to some of this news. This national news, and I'm going to start right here with what happened uh, just within the last few days here in Clearwater, Florida. 
Uh, there was a guy, his name was Robert Helfrey, who went missing in 2006, I believe the year was. I didn't write down the date. But he was a military vet. He was a father. He was married, but he was divorced. And he was a manager of a restaurant slash bar um, north of me. Not very far north of me. But you'd go into Clearwater and then make a left and keep going north that way. Kind of near the Gulf of Mexico. Not right on the water, though, but up in like that direction some months. I've never been to this place. But he was there. And then after the place closed up for the night, he went across the street to some other place where some of his coworkers and friends were there. They had a couple drinks. And he goes, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going home. And his home was basically straight east from where I am. And so it's like a 20-minute drive. So he's kind of out here near the, the shore here, but he has to drive inland. Um, you know, it really wasn't uh, far from one of the places I go disc, uh, to go disc golf called Cliff Stevens Park. And all surface streets, stoplights, but of course it's early in the morning. And he's had a couple in him. And along the way, he called a friend of his and said, hey, man, um, you know, I'm going to be going home. I don't know if I'm going to be going uh, straight to bed or not. Why don't you come over? We'll hang out, video games or whatever else. So this friend of his says, okay, I'll be there. Friend goes over there, gets there, knocks on the door. Robert's not there. And Robert is never seen again. And so this disappearance has been solved, like I said, for about 17 years. And I came very, very close to covering his disappearance a few years ago. I actually, Robert's mother, who is still alive, lives right in this area. I actually went to her house. I'm going to say that was, um, when was that? Must have been, like, I'd, I think I had already moved into this place. So I'm thinking, like, the winter like November, December, January of 2019 into 2020, certainly before COVID started. And uh, talked to her, actually spoke to his ex-wife, whose name is Susan, I've spoken to since this all happened a few days ago. And just couldn't get around to doing the interview. Um, It was just an issue of bringing up you know, a very, very sad part of the lives for all of them. That's really what it came down to. I uh, gave them my best advice that I could under the circumstances. And, but they were just very hesitant. They didn't know how other people would react. They didn't know how other family members were, would react and everything else. And, and this happens. This happens. But still, being that this is a local disappearance, very close to it, very personal, always keep the communication lines open. And I would check in with Susan, his ex-wife, maybe once every six months or something. And we were friends on Facebook just to see what's going on, any change in their attitudes or anything. And there was never any change. And I actually, I think even Cherie knew this. I think I told Cherie about this. Given that I believed that he went into the, a body of water somewhere and I, I ended up being right, by the way, that's the, the, res, the resolution to this. I actually, of course I don't have any scoop equipment or anything, 
But I started looking at the route that he would have taken and scoped out a few canals and retention ponds that I thought, well, if he was drinking and driving or fell asleep at the wheel, these would most likely be the spots that he might go into. Of course, I drove over there. I don't have scuba equipment, but I went over there just checking it out, kind of eyeing it up. Does this make any sense? Now, I will tell you that the retention pond that he and his car were found in was not one that I checked out, but man, I was close. I was so close. I was like a block away. I went and looked at um, some little body of water or something like a block away, like a couple blocks away from where he was eventually found. Now, what's interesting about this, as what Susan told me, is back originally in 2006, allegedly this pond where he was eventually found had been cleared. Well, obviously it wasn't because that was where he and his car were found. So you're probably wondering, well, what does it look like happened? What what does it seem, you know, why did he end up? And it's this retention pond that's right in the middle of this little, uh, right off the of the street and um, there are houses around it and everything else. But really it's a very similar story to Esther Westenbarger. What it seems happened. Now you should know there were a lot of people who knew Robert that thought there was foul play. In fact, back at the time, I had a chance to have a, a conversation with a friend of his who knew Robert very well. And this guy was convinced that Robert had, you know, something of foul play nature happened, really pointing the finger at this friend who was supposed to meet Robert that night. Kind of looked into that, kind of reached out to this guy. Uh, he didn't get back to me, but you should know this guy is now like a well-known um, Christian rock singer or something like that. I didn't write down his name, but. So what exactly happened then? Here's what happened, it seems. Uh, Robert left where he was, and he was going east, directly east. And then he made a right, so then he would be going south. And this would be the route that he would usually take. But what it looks like he did was he made, he, he would eventually be going, so he's going this way. He's going south, and then he was going to have to make a left to go east to go to his place. What well, looks like what happened is probably because he was drinking and driving. He made the left too early, so he wasn't south enough. He turned the left too early. He drove right into this little community, and you it's like a little turn, like a 90-degree turn. And then you go into this community, and then it's a T. You have to go to the left or right. If you don't, there's that retention pond. And it seems he made that left, thinking he was making a left onto the correct street. He was actually making a left onto the wrong street. It's not really a street at all. And he drove right straight into that retention pond. Now, logically, looking at this, I can see why that didn't seem like, uh, even if I'd gone there, I wouldn't have been able to see. And I've gone back and looked at Google Earth Pro, looking at that retention pond. If you could see like an outline of car, we all know that has happened in the past. 
you can't see anything. You can go back to 2007, 2008, all these satellite photos. It shows nothing. The thing, the, the body of water must be pretty deep, just like in Esther Westenbarger's situation. But it looks like that would ha- that's what happened. And, um, man, I was close. But just logically, I can honestly say that I don't think logically there's any way that I would have been brought, no matter how much I looked at maps, to that spot. Now, you may be asking, well, then, you know, how did somebody, being that that had even been cleared, how did somebody then come to the belief that, that he might be in there. I think what was going on is this company, Sunshine Sonar, which is this nonprofit group. I guess it's like Chaos Divers and Adventures of Purpose, something like that. They were just going from block to block to block with their equipment in a boat and going out and just, it, even if the, the spot didn't make sense, it seems that they were just going on. I don't think this is, they came to this spot by any sort of scientific information or anything. I just think they were going from spot to spot to spot, block to block to block. And they had this little boat. They went out into the middle of this retention pond, which isn't even that big. I would say the retention pond is about as big as a football field, but really isn't that big. It's probably, which really isn't that hard, large, really not even that big. And they got a hit. They sent someone down there. And they checked the license plate, and it was Robert's vehicle, and he was in it. And there's actually a video that I posted in the discussion group on Facebook in which it shows the moment that they discover that it's it's Robert's car, Uh, his SUV, a little SUV or something. So um, it's another one, uh, very sad. but not, uh, at least not in my mind, a surprise. And what makes it tough, even if you think that, yes, he went into a retention pond, that if you've ever seen Florida, this part of Florida, from the air, you know how many retention ponds and canals and everything else we have here. Uh, I mean, really, a lot of it's manuf- you know, man-made, but... Florida is just barely above sea level. The highest spot in the state of Florida is only like 300 some feet above sea level. Florida is really just a huge sandbar. That's all it is. And you could spend the rest of your life looking in every one of these just here in Pinellas County. So, but um, not not a surprising end to me, maybe to some of his friends being that they thought that there was foul play. But, you know, and I really looked at that foul play angle really, really hard. There are certainly some things that maybe didn't make any sense to me. But I also have to figure, you know, maybe his friend was drunk too or something. You know, why didn't that person wait there for him? Why didn't the person, did he not notice that Robert's car wasn't there? There's still some questions, but there's not any doubt that this was self-induced, that Robert, um, I mean, I know, you know, just like with Esther Westenbarger, you can just guess, uh, fell asleep at the wheel, heart attack, drinking and driving, not paying attention. All of those, uh, could be factors in Robert's disappearance. Although being that it seems like he made this 90 degree turn and then went into the water, 
I just think he thought he was making a left turn onto another major road up in that area where, of course, there wouldn't be any water. And there it was. And it's too late to stop. In addition, if he was drinking and driving, your reflexes are going to be lowered. And we know how that is. Uh, you know, that what we talked, like I talked about last week, with that woman surviving in her Jeep, we know that is the exception to the rule. Most of the time when people are in cars and go into bodies of water like this, even a small retention pond, the outcome is not is usually death. So um, this is one of those that I don't think that I saw. You know, I don't know if I saw this coming. Um, I always thought that he went into a body of water somewhere, but I was really open to the idea. Does it even make sense to look on the route that he would have been going? You know, if he was really out of it, he might've gone in the opposite direction, which means he could be anywhere in Pinellas County. But it did turn out that this body of water was on the way home, even though it wasn't right next to the road that he was on. He actually had to make a mistake in turning onto the wrong little tiny little entryway there uh, to get into that body of water. Whereas if you look at the route he would have normally taken or should have taken, there are little bodies of water right up against the road that seem to make more sense to me. This is not what that was. He actually really had to make a 90 degree turn and then right into the water. So, oh man, um, very sad, but I, I'll, I'll probably going to believe it was a DUI given the situation. And, um, of course, there's still some things I don't know. I didn't want to, you know, um, it's a very difficult time for Susan, even though she is an ex-wife. They have some children together. Obviously, that's a con- children are uh, probably having a tough time with this. And so I'm not going to inundate Susan with question after question after question after question after question. Uh, I'm sure she's being interviewed a lot, local media and being there for her daughters and everything. Just going to give this some time and then maybe I can get a more complete story on this. But that's how I'm looking at it right now, that it was no foul play. If uh, Maybe I need to say the name again. Robert Helfrey. It's already marked as resolved on the Charlie Project. His last name is H-E-L-P-H-R-E-W. So right here, I mean, probably if I left right now, I could get to the spot where his car was found in less than 15 minutes, easily less than 15 minutes, certainly this time of night, uh, certainly less than 15 minutes, easy. That's how close it was. So Robert Helfrey uh, found in his car in a retention pond here pond here in the Clearwater area, Um 16, 17 years later, I got to believe that it was just a car accident. So um, uh, I'm in Florida. I just heard about this cult says, what's going on, fishing? Good to see you. Uh, Angelic says, well, I'll never give up, even if it feels hopeless. Yeah. I didn't really even know know that, you know, they were even searching for him. I, I This is kind of like uh, what, Dr. Telesco and I talked about with Karen Moore a couple weeks ago. Uh, it was clear to me that the people who found her and her car were not looking for her. It got the idea maybe they were looking for somebody else that didn't find that other car and that somebody else. 
and they happened upon Karen and her car. For this, I'm still not. It's still not clear to me if they were really out there looking for Robert and his car specifically, or were they just taking, you know, just hey, let's go check this out. Maybe we'll find something in there. Um, and you should know uh, from what Susan told me that the HOA for that that, that area in that retention pond uh, did not want to let them go in there, but these divers went in there anyway. So there's that. So that probably might have hindered searches over the years as well. So, uh, Karen, do you think people who go into water in a vehicle try to get out, or is it too difficult? <sighs> wow, I just... You know, uh, Karen, um, first thing you have to remember to do when that happens is take your seatbelt off. And But are you going to be thinking about that in the moment? I just can't even imagine it. We also have to remember that I think with both Esther's disappearance, which you know a lot about, and Robert's, which we kind of know some about, I'm not inclined either of them were 100% sober and in their right minds when they went into the water. So that plays a huge factor in as well. I mean, if Robert really thought that he was turning onto the right road, then would it, when he hit the water and everything, would the, would his mind really start thinking, Hey, this is dangerous. You got to do something about this. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Wonder how they missed it the first time, K Klein. I have no idea. I I don't know, but it's just one more of those things that uh, families should be very um, doubtful when we're learning more and more about this particular kind of disappearance. That when police say they've searched the rivers and lakes and ponds and everything, that uh, we might be a little doubtful of that and the, this was allegedly cleared i don't uh the only thing i can say is looking at it the way i did a few years ago logically i don't you know there's no way that it would have brought me to that particular retention point it may just be that some police officer said said just yeah we checked it when they really didn't just to you know blow it off that's very possible no uh, Ferry, when did this happen? Uh, 16, 17 years ago. I think it was 2006. Ferry, I think. Uh, as an adolescent, I had a fear of bridges collapsing. I always put down my window before going over. Yeah, there are people. That is, that is some sort of phobia, Katie. I think that actually there is an actual real name for that kind of phobia. Kathy, Karen, if you have a hammer or other tool, yeah, break the window. Cult. Don't think those searches have the best equipment. It seems to be, I don't think those searchers have the best equipment. It seems to be something by the raid by the hour. Uh, called, I, all I know is I think the people that were out here, some nonprofit organization called Sunshine Sonar. And um, they were out there and, and found them. I, I don't know if this is the first car with a person they've ever found. I really don't know. Uh, private groups have better equipment. Could be art. Wonder if the prevalence of power windows makes it more difficult to escape such situations. It could be art. 
that could be, but I think we also have to remember the way that the the physics of that works is that when the water, when you go into the water and the car becomes submerged, so water is over the roof, but there's still air inside the car that the, the weight of the water is pushing in on the car and that could jam the windows in place. So even if you had a wind down window, the window might be so forced into the frame, you might not be able to roll it down. Something to think about. It's also the reason that even if the door's unlocked, you can't push it open because, the, because of the pressure, pressure difference. And so what do they tell you? Either, you know, you got to wait. If you don't have a hammer or something like that, you got to wait until the water fills up in the car so the pressure gets equalized and then the door will open just fine. It's weird how those things work. Physics is so weird. It's like, a you know, same thing like a plane. You know, the pressure difference when you get up to 35,000 feet between the inside of the plane and the outside of the plane. Um, you know, the plane is just a big, uh, you know, compressed tube, you know, and you have the compressed air in it so people can breathe. And it's usually set to about 8,000 feet, by the way, it's not set to sea level. Uh, the air mixture in the plane is usually at about eight, I think 8,000 feet. And so you have pressurized air pushing on the outside of the plane. And that's why, you know, when you have a decompression incident inside a plane, <laughs> the air can't get out of the, can't get out of the airplane fast enough. And then at some point though, once all the air is out, the pressure equalizes and no air is trying to get out anymore. That's, you know, so it's like the opposite when it comes to cars going in water. And Sheree says, don't drink and drive kids. Uh, Yeah. And of course, as a non-drinker myself, I would say don't drink at all. But that is uh, the disappearance of Robert Helfrey. Uh, Very personal to me for a lot of different reasons. I've met his mother. I've talked to his ex-wife many times. Went out there and kind of looked around myself, went to the mother's house, came very close to covering the disappearance. It's very local here. And um, I guess they, they finally get the answers that they've always wanted. And every time it's bittersweet. It's every time. Moving on. I want to talk about this murder of the Cash App founder uh, who got stabbed to death in San Francisco. Cash Up founder Bob Lee was fatally stabbed by an IT consultant near downtown San Francisco after the two men who police police say knew each other got into an argument over the suspect's sister, according to court documents obtained Friday by NBC News. The suspect, 38-year-old Nima Momini of Emeryville, a suburb of San Francisco, drove Lee to a secluded area and stabbed him three times with a four-inch kitchen knife including twice in the chest, according to the documents, at least one of the stab wounds punctured Lee's heart. You remember this? Uh, There was actually video of this uh, that was out there in places, if you can stomach such things, of him kind of crawling down the sidewalk. And there was a car that pulled up and he was asking for help, but the person I think got scared and, and drove off. You know, what are you supposed to think? But then uh, he died right there on the video. Um, just very, very sad. Um, but the belief, at least it seems like the police reading this article that the police kind of knew 
what had happened very, very early on in the investigation, but this is just how it shows how the media lies to you. Keep playing it up that, oh, it's a mystery. Oh, it must have been a homeless person and everything. Whereas really behind the scenes, you know, the police are working on this and they had a lot more information than, you know, I guess the reporters knew or maybe the reporters knew and didn't want to report it. Sometimes I can't tell. But anyway, at one point, Momini's sister sent a text to Lee. The document showed. Just wanted to make sure you're doing okay because, you know, Nima came way down hard on you, she wrote, according to the documents. She continued, thank you for being such a classy man, handling it with class, she added. Love you. Uh, and then there's a couple words that I won't use. Um, so it seems that the three of them were together. And the, the victim left with this woman's sister. And there must have been some heated argument between the, the killer and the victim before they left. So why is Bob, why, why are they in an argument and then getting in a car together? I don't know. But then something happened during this car ride. And given that this guy had a four-inch kitchen knife with him, it seems like this was probably premeditated. It seems to me that even before they got into the car that he had decided, you know, this guy needs to die. And, and so Mamini was arrested on Thursday morning after a nine-day manhunt that attracted national attention and intensified scrutiny on public safety issues in the Bay Area. He will be charged with murder, uh, and he's scheduled to be arraigned on April 25th. He could face 26 years to life in behind bars if convicted. Uh, the court documents, uh, which the San Francisco District Attorney's Office filed Friday as part of its attempt to detain the suspect without bill, pieced together the events that led to the stabbing. Lee and a friend interviewed by police uh, had been hanging out in a hotel room in San Francisco on the evening of, of April 3rd. The friend, identified in the filings as witness one, noticed Lee having a conversation with Mumini, the killer. The witness heard Momini asking Lee whether Momini's sister had been doing drugs or anything inappropriate earlier that day. Lee had to re reassure Momini that nothing inappropriate had happened. Later that night, a surveillance camera recorded Lee and Momini getting into Momini's white BMW outside his sister's apartment. Additional footage obtained by police shows the BMW heading to a dark and secluded area near downtown San Francisco. The two men are later seen standing together on a sidewalk for a few minutes before Mamini apparently stabs Lee. So they have this on camera of him stabbing him. Mamini then tossed the knife, got back into his car, and sped away. When police officers arrived at the scene around 2.30 a.m., according to the documents, they found Lee unresponsive, lying in the street and bleeding uncontrollably. When officers returned to canvas the area, they found the blood-stained knife. What do I keep saying? Uh, relationships. Number one cause of disappearances. Relationships. Number one cause of murders. Relationships are a killer. Now, what was going on here? You know, to try to read between the lines being that I've read so many police accounts of all sorts of things over like the last six and a half years and even longer. You kind of get 
the idea, at least from this article, and of course there are, are a thousand different articles and maybe you get different feelings from all of them, but it seems to me that this this killer must have believed that the victim might have been supplying um, drugs to the killer's sister, being that there is this comment um, the witness heard Mamini asking Lee whether Mamini's sister had been doing drugs or anything inappropriate earlier that day. Lee had to reassure Mamini that nothing inappropriate had happened. This sounds to me like the sister had some issues, and it sounds like the killer thought that the victim um, might have been a cause of those problems. Now, of course, that does not mean that the, the victim deserved to be killed, murdered. Uh, Bob Lee that he deserved to be murdered but you do get that feeling given that the the question of drugs and things and inappropriate maybe he's talking about sex maybe uh, the killer is worried about his sister's um, reputation or something like that I don't know Um, of course we can't discount that there might have been drugs involved and alcohol involved in all of this but certainly this seemed to have seems to have come from this guy, the victim and the killer's sister. I don't know if they were a couple or they'd gone out or uh, did the killer think that Bob Lee, the victim uh, took advantage of the sister. I don't know, but you know, as I have in my notes here, how deranged do you have to be to kill your sister's friend? And what business was it of this brother, the killer, anyway? I have to believe that drugs and factor, uh, drugs and alcohol were a factor here. However, I did read somewhere that um, this uh, killer might have had kind of a reputation anyway as being a little bit of a hothead, very excitable, you know, anger management issues, but. You know, it's, it's as you know, a lot of times this hindsight's twenty twenty. So I mean, you know, somebody's just a regular person. The guy ends up killing somebody, and then everybody comes out of the work. Oh yeah, he was crazy. Oh, he was this. He was that. Then, you know, I don't know what to usually think of those things. But when you have somebody, it seems like they have an ear witness uh, detailing this conversation that the killer and the victim were having. Um, certainly had something to do with a relationship. Now, why, you know, if they were arguing, why would they get into a car together? Well, I think we know why the killer got in the car because he, I think he planned to kill this guy. Um, but, you know, it just, it's just so hard to tell you're in a situation, you know, the victim, Bob Lee, could he have foreseen that this guy was going to kill him? Probably not. It sounds like they all knew each other fairly well and for a while. Um, don't, I'm, I'm hoping we get to hear more about this, learn a little bit more about if the sister is going to make a statement, what this was all about, and, you know, this inappropriateness and everything. And as you heard from the text that she sent Bob after the two left, just wanted to make sure you're doing okay. Cause Nina came way down hard on you. So, so Bob's there somewhere, and Nina Nima goes after him. The killer goes after him, arguing with him. 
And Bob decides to get in the car with him anyway. I don't know. I think I'd be walking, but you know, it's easy to say now. But this was a murder when it first came out that it seemed to continue this um, narrative about San Francisco being a dangerous place. I've never been to San Francisco. It does seems like seem like it's a more dangerous place than where I live or Clearwater or St. Petersburg or Tampa. I don't know. I've never lived there. But automatically, because they have had a homeless problem and other things going on there, that that was what automatically people thought. But it turns out that IT consultants kill people too. Uh, let's see what everybody's saying. Don't drink and drive. The media will stop at nothing to have the newest, biggest story on these high-profile cases. They certainly will. Yeah, uh, it's uh, they want to be first. They want to be the first one to the printing press. It doesn't matter if it's correct or not. Call that's crazy. He just moved to Miami. He should have stayed there. Yeah, it's true that Bob Lee had moved to Miami from San Francisco, and he was just on a trip back there. So... You know, um, maybe we need to be open to the idea. Maybe this wasn't all relationship uh, connected. Maybe there's something going on here with business. You know, being that it sounds like this Bob Lee guy, guy uh, this Cash App founder, done decently for himself. And maybe this NEMA guy who was also kind of in the same field, wanted some help from Bob Lee and he wasn't getting it. Maybe that's what came out that night as well. You know, Bob Lee moves out of the area and Nima's uh, ticked off at that. That could be two, but that is total, total, total conjecture. Rockford, just a few blocks from where I used to work. I admit to falling for the homeless angle, but I wondered what he was doing at that late hour. I was also influenced by the Millard incident in Louisiana. Rockford, this guy's fanatic enough to stab someone like that. There's also a decent chance he was paranoid delusional when it came to his sister. Yeah. It might have been that nothing went on, but this guy thought it did. Uh, but then Rockford, we have to start thinking, you know, maybe Bob Lee should have called an Uber. Maybe. Um, and then do that. I, you know. Yeah, I, given that I'm a homebody and everything else, I, I don't have, you know, in person, <laughs> in person, like in the same room face to face. I don't have any too many arguments with people. The last problem I had with anybody in person uh, was when I was at a disc golf tournament in Orlando in like, I don't know, 2021 or something with some kook. Um, and before that, I mean, it must have been years and years. I just, I think maybe it's just because uh, just things like that just don't happen to be very much and maybe a little too <laughs> non-caring on most topics when it comes to in-person stuff to really get into an argument or tick anybody off or anything like that. Um, so it, it's hard for me to say, but you know, I, I would think that if I get in an argument with somebody and somebody's accusing me of something and it, it does have to do with that person's sister or something, I'm not getting in a car with that person. I don't, you know, it's, I'm not. That sounds like a bad idea. You know, I, I would even say, I mean, just the way I am, this is a true story. Speaking of cars, 
12 years ago, 13 years ago, when I lived in Las Vegas, I'd gone down to Arizona for work. And uh, there was uh, another coworker who I really didn't get along with that well anyway. But we were going to have to ride in the same van back from Phoenix back to Las Vegas. And I knew even though this guy was driving like one of the company vans and everything, the guy did not have a driver's license. And so we had to go back there and we had this van. He wanted to drive. I said, I'm not getting in a van with you. I mean, I knew I was going to have to ride in the van with him, but I knew he didn't have a driver's license. And I told him, so you don't even have a driver's license. I'm not getting in a van with you. Well, I'm a good driver. I said, that's not the point. The point is, I know that you don't have a driver's license. Everybody else knows that you don't have a driver's license. I don't know why our boss continues to employ you, being that he knows you don't have a driver's license. And I don't want to put myself in a situation where I'm in the passenger seat, you're driving, we get into a wreck, we both get killed, and everybody's thinking, why did N. Denzel get into a van and allow somebody else who had, didn't have a driver's license to drive? <laughs> That's what I told him. I'm not getting going to allow you to drive because I don't want everybody to think I'm an idiot when I'm not here to defend myself. And so I just said, well, if you're going to drive, I guess I'm staying here then. And eventually he gave me the keys of the van. That that was quite a trip. Uh, you know, if you've, what is that? A four hour drive or something like that. Yeah. That was a real fun drive as you could probably predict. So, um, what a, what a weird situation. Forgot all about that. But so that's the way I am. I'm not getting in vehicles with people who I don't like or, or whatever else. And if I am, I'm going to drive. And maybe I'm just a control freak like that, that when I do go places, I am the one who likes to drive, but it just, it's hard to understand why Bob Lee got in the, got in the car with this guy. Maybe he had no other choice or I don't know. Um, uh, Katie Whole Foods just closed in San Francisco. Yeah. Angelic, a homelessness in this country affecting all walks of life. Not all homeless people. Dangerous. That's true. Uh, Angelic says, yeah, I avoid people, so no arguments. Rockford, when I lived in San Francisco, very safe. Still has low violent crime rate, but property crime up. Homeless are mostly danger to themselves, but are unpredictable. I always carried a weapon. Never had to use it. Okay. So uh, there you go. It seems that IT consultants can kill people too. Let me go over a couple more unfound things, and then I'm going to get into the Zodiac Killer uh, info, and I'm going to run some ideas by all of you. And I know many of many of you know who uh, the Zodiac Killer is. We know that, or the, we don't know who he is, I guess, but we know the Zodiac Killer. We know, speaking of the San Francisco area, and um, that he was never identified yet. So I'm going to get into that in a moment. Once again, I, those questions are still out there for anybody who wants to answer. Favorite films, Fear of AI, Petroni Imbo, uh, what got you into true crime with murder, disappearance, incident. Those are still things. If you'd like to answer them, maybe you got in a little late, you would like to put those on the record for other people to see in the chat, you can do that. Uh, later this week, I'm going to start working on the next uh, found 
episode. This is something that is for Patreon people only at the $5 a month level and above. This will also be for uh, YouTube people as well. And this is something that I started last month. You might remember with the first one being uh, the disappearance and discovery of Brandon Lawson. Well, the next one is going to be Elizabeth Smart. And so what I'm doing for these, I'm going back to the time of the disappearance and uh, looking at the circumstances. I'm looking at news articles that were written at the time, and then I go and look at the, the time in which the disappearance was unsolved. So I'll be looking at Elizabeth, all anything uh, that was written about her disappearance during the time uh, that she was missing. And then I will get to the point, of course, when she was discovered, how she was found, and how do we analyze this? And what were their mistakes made? Could she have been found earlier? Could this have been predicted? And I will give um, all of my thoughts on all of that. And I'm doing this, as I explained for the Brandon Lawson one, I'm doing this very much like how the NTSB uh, investigates uh, a plane crash. And when they come out with their report, after they've done all the engineering and science and everything, they put together a report. Here is why this plane crashed. And what it usually is, it's one specific reason, and then there's all these contributing factors. That's the way I did it with Brandon Lawson's. That's the way I will do, do it with Elizabeth Smart. We'll look at what was the main reason that she disappeared, any contributing factors. What are the reasons that she was missing all this time and contributing factors? And then what was the main factor to her being found and any other contributing factors? Probably also go and look at the, you know what, let's just be honest. Most young girls who were kidnapped like this, I think were murdered. Why wasn't Elizabeth Smart murdered? And so I'll take a look at that. So that will be the next one. Uh, Elizabeth Smart. It's a new series for Patreon people and members of uh, the YouTube channel called Found. You've seen the logo probably already. It's the regular Unfound logo with the red X over the U and the N at the beginning of the word. There's another UN in, later in the word. But, and the tagline is from disappearance to discovery. And that's what I'm doing there. So I hope you will think about signing up. And of course, there are a lot of other things that go on on Patreon and on this YouTube channel that you'll get to experience by being a supporter at either or both places. I think a lot of people really like the first one, Brandon Lawson, and this next one will be Elizabeth Smart. And uh, I have a whole list already put together of this will be a monthly series that will, of course, for here for April, May, June. It'll go throughout the rest of the year. I already have a list going to the end of the year. So um, all I have to do is do my own work and then record it. And I hope uh, that will cause some of you to consider, you know, I'd like to check that out. Let's sign up on YouTube. Let's sign up on Patreon to support Unfound. Um, Kay Klein, Elizabeth Smart, that was a good one. It's very fortunate that she was found alive, uh, Kay Klein. But I, it's going to be interesting to truly look at, you know, we, we know that so many girls like her, when they are taken, they are murdered. What was the difference here? 
And I will look, of course, all of you have your opinions. Me, I'll get to give my opinion as the guy who does this full time. Thank you, Kay Klein. Two friends from camp and I were in San Francisco, about 70 to 73. We parked in a Marine and walked around for an hour. Was eight to nine friends' daughter. Video bug was broken into checkbook. Wow. And a couple other items were taken. Uh, Angelic says, as uh, far as movies, after fall, winter, the big chill. It's a big uh, baby boomer movie. Uh, House of Sin and Fog. Mask. Wow. With Cher and Eric Stoltz. And anything from John Hughes movies, I got to agree with the John Hughes movies, of course. Kay Klein, I remember the exact moment when I heard she was found. Shree says, Richard and Danielle are in the truck in the water. American Hustle. Uh, I think I knew that was one of your favorite movies, Shree. I think you remember you telling me that. Based on a true story, it was uh, based on Ab Scam from the 1970s. Number one favorite movie uh, is that. Uh, Marilyn McCann, the first time I remember being interested in true crime. All right. Shree's saying... Answering some of those questions, uh, Richard and Daniel in the Water, American Hustle was their favorite movie, and what got Sheree, my assistant, Sheree, the moderator of this live show, into True Crime was Madeline McCann. Uh, Kay Klein, Sean Levy was probably the first missing person I was hooked on. Swear I knew every detail. Yeah, we, I think I talked about that the week or the week before. Uh, you know, I have to admit, she escaped my memory for a long time, and then it came up within the last couple of weeks. And, um, yeah, I followed that very closely back at the time, too, Kay Klein. Kathy Tegan, I've left nothing in the car another time near Market Street in San Francisco. A guy chased my dad and teen brother with a knife. No one intervened. Knife was a flimsy knife. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't sound like I'm going to be going to San Francisco anytime soon. In fact, I've never even... I've kind of been close to that area when I went to Oregon. I guess kind of, but, you know, I, I was all over Southern California from like Oxnard South, been all over the place, Northern California, nothing. All right. So next found is Elizabeth Smart. Let's move on to the Zodiac story. As I stated, uh, I have Paramount Plus now, and I've watched the Zodiac movie, which I now know has a lot of errors in it, so if you're going to watch it for the first time, it is a spectacular movie, but I would not say it's factual. They get a lot of things wrong in there, maybe on purpose, maybe by accident. I don't know. Uh, and I've actually done some looking into some of these things, and you can maybe see why they changed the narrative to be more dramatic and everything. I guess what I'm saying is if you watch the movie, it's going to give you the impression that it's just absolutely no doubt that this one particular guy was the killer. And I don't want to ruin it. Please, in the chat, don't ruin it for everybody. Anybody who hasn't seen the movie or don't know any, doesn't know anything. But it's clear that in real life, that Robert Graysmith, who wrote that book about the Zodiac and got all this fame, it's certainly, 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 certainly not as clear-cut as he made it out to be. And this is something I think we all need to learn about true crime books of like that, that they, you know, these writers or filmmakers, whoever else, they don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. But like I said, the movie is great. It has a great feel to it. It's kind of creepy. Um, 
you know, for all of us who are into true crime and love going to read articles and maybe going to visit areas where a murder take took place or a disappearance took place. I mean, that's right up our alley. And it helps that the movie is very well made by a great director, David Finch. You have a lot of great actors in there, Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Robert Downey Jr., Mark Ruffalo, on and on and on, you know, just, just spectacular. Um, but it is not factual. So I will tell you in watching the movie, then reading, uh, just trying to study it as much as I could. Um, there is a site called zodiackiller.com where they do nothing but kind of debunk. They like the movie, but they realize that the, and the movie has been great at giving the Zodiac killer that it's still unsolved a lot of attention, but it goes like scene by scene showing, you know, police documents were different than how they were portrayed in the movie. I'm going to tell you that I think this, the Zodiac killer was a cop. And I wrote down a bunch of reasons why. Now, you shouldn't also know that friend of the podcast, Ken Maines, who got interviewed on uh, Unfound way back in 2017, he actually appeared on the History Channel for a series they did on the Zodiac Killer. Unfortunately, I don't remember watching it. So I don't know what his conclusion was or anything. But friend of the program, we're kind of like a couple degrees of separation, a Kevin Bacon game uh, from the Zodiac Killer being that Kenneth Maines was on that TV show along with some, I think, other investigators or whatever. I think this must have been 2018 that that happened, 2019. It was certainly before COVID. But my insight is that it was a police officer. Now, you have to remember some things. That's not crazy. We have to remember the original Night Stalker um, was a cop. Uh, his name was Joseph D'Angelo. Remember how long it took them to catch him? And what was interesting, he was kind of doing some of those things early in his career, right around the time that the Zodiac Killer kind of was tailing off. It almost goes seamlessly from one into the next. We also have to remember that the serial killer, Dennis Rader, although he wasn't a cop, he was a compliance officer, some sort of kind of park ranger or whatever else. But what did Dennis Rader and Joseph D'Angelo or Joseph D'Angelo have in common. They both taunted police. Well, that's exactly what the Zodiac Killer did as well. So that's kind of what kind of started me looking in that direction, a little looking into I've been doing in my spare time. I don't have a lot of spare time, but that's what kind of pointed me in the direction. What are the odds the two serial killers that we were now caught Dennis Rader and Joseph D'Angelo, we know that they both taunted police in different ways, that they both ended up, we now know that they were kind of involved in law enforcement. What are the odds? So that's what got me thinking to this. And then I will, I'm going to just read off a list of reasons in addition to that. Given that the Zodiac Killer was so over the top in making fun of police, that it's like, what's that saying? Thou doth think you protest too much. Meaning that the more and more, for example, the more and more you say you hate somebody, the probably more and more it means you love that person. And it's so over the top how he calls them pigs and makes fun of the police and these 
coded messages that he sent all over the place that it's, it sounds like somebody who is trying to really, really, really make it look like they're not a police officer, but by going so over the top, they're actually telling everybody subconsciously, you know what? I am a police officer or at least a former police officer. That's one thing. In addition, um, you know, going back to the late sixties, early seventies, one of the messages says something about, you know, uses the term prow or prow car to describe a police car. Not too many civilians do that. That's a very unusual term for a, uh, a regular person. What do we say? Police car, cop car, something like that, black and white or something. Not too many regular people, civilians who aren't in law enforcement, use the term prowler or prowl car, but police use that kind of thing. That's a police term. That's something else. And that was a word that was used in one of the letters sent to one of the, uh, either to one of the, the police or to one of the newspapers back at the time. What also caught my eye, and being that this would catch my eye, um, being that I am a, a gun owner, I don't know if I'm a gun enthusiast, but I know a lot about guns now that I have five of them. And Three of them are nine millimeter. What you don't realize is nine millimeter, nine millimeter in the 21st century, even the late 90s, has is when it became a very, very popular ammo. It's now the most popular caliber sold in the United States. Now, that was not the situation at the time of the Zodiac killings, but this guy used a nine millimeter. What was more common at the time? Revolvers and Nine millimeter revolvers are very, very rare because nine millimeter is not a revolver cartridge. You have to get special design gun and clips and everything else to make a nine millimeter ammo work in a revolver. Because revolvers were much more common in the 1960s than semi-automatic. Semi-automatics didn't really didn't become a thing until like the 1980s, like with Miami Vice and all of that. That's when you know you start getting that idea of that. But in the late 60s, it was all revolvers. And what does that mean? 38 special, 38 ACP, um, 45, Colt 45, um, 357, and some other calibers. So this gun that this guy was using, a 9mm, very, very rare for the time. People today might not realize that if they're not really into guns. 9mm, 1960s for civilians. Very, very rare in the United States. This also then leads me to believe, well, maybe a police officer, somebody like that, would be much more likely to have a gun like that than a civilian. So that's what also got, gets me to thinking about, was this a police officer? Something else, um, there's something that is still unexplained regarding one of the shootings uh, that the Zodiac Killer did, and we know that he did it, and that was the shooting of the taxi cab driver in San Francisco, which, as far as anybody can tell scientifically, this is the last killing that the Zodiac Killer did. There's still, to this day, and they talk about it in the movie, why the original description was wrong. When the first call went out that somebody had been murdered and there were these witnesses, these children, 
for some reason, when the dispatcher sent it out to, to all the police cars, they said it was a black man who was seen in the car. Whereas when the two detectives, Dave Toski and his partner, Bill Armstrong, show up at the scene, when they talked to the kids, these the, who, were the, who were the witnesses, they said, no, it was a white guy. There's still no, they just have never been able to figure out to this day, how did that get messed up? The kids said it was a white guy. Why did it get put out over the radio to all the police that it was a black guy? Well, something that comes to mind, well, you know, if this guy was a police officer, maybe he would have had a way to contact the dispatcher himself and pretending to be a cop and he would know the frequency or something like that. That comes to mind. That is still something that is totally, nobody's been able to figure out why that mistake got made back at the time. In no time did those kids ever think that it was a black man, but that was what was originally broadcast all the uh, cars in the area. And in fact, to the point that we now know pretty much the two of the responding officers to the cab probably drove right by the Zodiac killer who was walking the direction, the other direction. And he was a white guy. This has never been explained. It also gets me thinking, could somehow a police officer have got in there somehow and mixed the message up on purpose? Something else, the Zodiac Killer killed in different jurisdictions, three or four, that's really illustrated in the movie, that uh, the problems that, you know, at the time, technologically, they had coordinating everything. I'm not sure that a... a a, uh, a regular person would know that. What we do know, given with Joseph D'Angelo, the original Night Stalker, he did that for that express reason. That's why he went to all these different places and raped women and killed people all over the place because he knew that because he was once a police officer, he knew that these different jurisdictions would have a hard time coordinating their all of their information and trying to catch him. This also makes me think, well, could the Zodiac Killer have been thinking the same thing? cop another thing flashlight on the gun uh for at least the first shooting we have guns we have flashlights for guns now that clip on and everything else but this was not that was not a thing in the 1960s i don't know if a regular citizen would have ever thought of something like that but a cop would why because that's how police officers are trained They're used to dealing with flashlights and guns together. Why? Because they never know when you're going to run into a bad guy at night. Um, In the second murders, the guy who survived, who was shot but survived, said that, yes, the car, the guy that was driving, pulled up behind them, not beside them, and where they were like in a lover's lane type of situation. This car pulled up behind them. This sounds to me, once again, like something a police officer would do. I would think if it was a regular citizen who was going to commit a murder, they would have pulled up like sideways or something. Why? For an easy getaway. Whereas when you back up behind the car of the victims, what does that mean? To get away, you're going to have to back away and pull. It's just more time. Now, you may say, well, the flat, you know, the headlights, but. I think most people are are more worried about getting away with it, not whether they can see that well. Plus, the guy had a flashlight anyway. This also tells me this might have just been creature of habit. That's what police do. When they come up behind a car somewhere, they don't pull up beside the car. 
They pull up behind it. If a car is parked somewhere, you don't pull up beside because that can make you easy pickings if somebody has a gun. You pull up behind. That's also telling me I think that this was a uh, a cop. Another thing, the call-ins after these murders were committed, all the calls, they were eventually traced to, to uh, phone booths, remember those, right near police headquarters for these diff- where these different murders happened. Coincidence? And so... And in the movie, uh, there was a lot that was made of um, the person that they tried to pull, push, who was the killer. Um, But a police officer would have known this other guy's birth date. He would have known that this other guy went to jail for a time. A police officer would be able to check records to see that the main suspect, at least in Robert Graysmith's book, was a child molester at one time, had gone to jail for that. A police officer would have access to all of that material and maybe try to make it look like this guy did it instead of the guy who actually did it. So I think this this was a police officer who knew at least one of the victims, one of the female victims in the first two shootings because that call uh, after Barbara Farron, the second woman who was killed, the call came in like three-tenths of a mile from her house from a pay. That can't be a coincidence. It was not a random occurrence that she was with that guy out there, a car comes by and they get shot, and then just so happens the killer goes to her house three-tenths of a mile away and makes a call. This killer knew her before the shooting ever happened. Pretty sure. So, uh, but the person that is pushed forward in the book, uh, Zodiac, and in this movie is surely not the Zodiac. And in fact, I'm inclined to believe this is very much like the original Night Stalker that um, the police looked at a bunch of different people and never did come across the right person. And maybe because one of the investigators was the person who did it. Remember with Joseph D'Angelo, he was not, he got caught shoplifting, he got fired as a police officer. But you have to remember all those investigators back that time, they interviewed all sorts of different people. Never interviewed, never suspected Joseph D'Angelo as being the original Night Stalker. And I think that that is what is going on here. So I've been I've been uh, preaching for a little bit here. Uh, let's see uh, what everybody is saying. Um, I'm, I am mentioned uh, Lauren Spear earlier, but also remembered from many years earlier. I couldn't hear or read enough about the Washington, D.C. snipers. Yeah, they got eventually got caught. Uh, Kathy says San Francisco has the best restaurants. Yes, uh, I've heard it does. Uh, Oxnard, Ed, very, very close to my current neck of the woods. I'm there all the time. Um, yeah, I was supposed to go up there and film a music video back in about 2005, and it fell through. That's the one time I got up to the Oxnard area, Rockford. Uh, Angie, what's going on? Good to see you. Uh, when the Zodiac Killer was scaring everyone in the Bay Area, our elderly neighbor in Los Gatos was terrified. Hey, I know. I can understand it. Everybody, it was, seems, was terrified. but um, And I can understand why. And, and the truth is, they're all, you start looking into it, there are a lot of unsolved murders. In that area, you know, between 1965 and 1975, I mean, it's 
And you start looking at that. There are a lot of people who got murdered uh, in that time. Still unsolved all these years later, despite DNA and everything else. Angelic says, interesting. MT, Unsolved Mysteries is the first thing that got me interested in true crime. Also local to me was Diane Downs. When she escaped from prison, she was found within a few miles of where my aunt lived. Uh, Ferry, I think talking about police officers, my particular theory. Takes one to know one. Could be Ferry. Uh, Deborah says maybe the Zodiac Killer was in the police academy and flunked out. Just an idea. That's an interesting one. Ferry says never even heard of the Prowl car. Yeah, that was something that was in one of the messages. Uh, Ferry, one of the first messages. I think that was the message that was sent to the the San Francisco uh, paper. Um, he was making fun of the police that, um, you know, there they were riding around in their motorcycles and motorcycles and prowl cars. And here he was getting away. Rockard speaking over the top, Jeffrey McDonald, he was military, not police, but he made his house into this idea of what a crazed hippie mass murder would look like, including taunts aimed at authority. Yeah, Fatal Vision, right? I know that book. I know that. Fascinating case. Fatal, Fatal Vision, that was the first true crime book I ever read. Well before Madeline McCann, I had forgotten about that, Kathy. Uh, Deborah says, headlights blind the people in the car so you can't see the car, the person walking toward them. That's true, Deborah. Certainly, certainly true. But if uh, having read uh, the testimony of the guy who got shot who survived, you have to realize that in two of the shootings, the men survived, but the women didn't. But in the Barbara Farron one, where they're in Lover's Lane, and she was married, by the way. She was like 22. The guy she was with was like 17 or something. And he survived. But he stated that he was not blinded by the headlights. He was blinded by the, the flashlight that the shooter had. So it's certainly true the headlights would keep that on them but that's true but the guy had a flashlight anyway and you know you watch enough of these shootings like on youtube and everything people pulling up and everything people usually put their cars in a position to get away quickly not in a way to like use their headlights or anything just something to think about um sure i remember i had to sneak to read it the fatal vision book uh, Rockford says, I can get on board with the uh, police officer theory and that he knew one or more of the victims. A lot of people think he's ex-military. Yep. As the original Night Stalker ended up being, there were a lot of people who believed that he was, before he was revealed, a lot of people believe the original Night Stalker was a police officer and guess they were right. They were right. They also thought he was ex-military. That was true too. He was in the Navy. Uh, military police, same difference. Yes. Uh, Rockford Burgies in Chicago. Rockford, don't know that one, MT. Empty Reuben sandwiches. Okay, everybody's talking food now. So that is my theory on uh, the Zodiac Killer. Um, take it for what it's worth. I know murder really isn't my thing, but the Zodiac movie, even though I know there are a lot of mistakes in it, uh, has been a, a huge, uh, you know, a favorite of mine for a while. Just love everything about it. It has a, such a great look to it, great feel to it. And even though it's not a 1970s movie, uh, much of it takes part, takes place during the 1970s. So I kind of like that whole feel of that and, and everything, uh, the, the fashion and everything. Um, 
if you haven't seen it, it's on Paramount Plus right now. Uh, it's a really good movie. And uh, just thought I'd kind of take maybe like five or six hours out of my last couple weeks and kind of get a feel for it. And that's that's the, the, the result that I've come to. And that this was some disgruntled police officer uh, flunked out, got kicked out, something like that. Or he might have even still been on the force, was happy, was unhappy, didn't get a promotion or something, and he just wanted to make all the police departments look stupid. And, you know, there you go. So um, maybe you'll look into it for yourselves. I'd be interested to think what you have to say. At this point, I want to give a shout out to an assistant of mine and a listener. I think the listener's in here tonight. I think she got in while I was talking about the Zodiac. My assistant, Carrie, and listener, Jill, are going to be starting their own podcast. And it is called Missing Chapters. And uh, they already have a group. I don't know if they're going to have a page. I, I don't have anything to do with uh, the creation of this. In fact, I think I only found out about it within the last couple of days, even though I know they've been working together behind the scenes. But they have been doing a lot of work on a disappearance that we covered on Unfound, uh, the disappearance of Paul Sanders. This disappearance from the Phoenix Mesa era area. And if you'll remember that uh, this young man went missing, he was originally from the Missouri area and he had gone and moved to Arizona. He was living with his father and the father's girlfriend or wife and uh, Paul's, I think sister or the, the, the woman's daughter was there as well. And if you will remember one day uh, the cops tried to pull over Paul's truck and the story goes that the truck pulled over the police officer went to get out and then the truck pulled away a chase ensued and whoever was in the truck in Paul's truck they got away and eventually the truck was found wrecked abandoned wrecked up in the northeastern part away uh, from Phoenix, Arizona, many miles from where the chase started. Well, I don't want to ruin it, for, but Carrie and Jill, along with the help of Paul's sister, have been working very, very diligently, doing a lot of FOIAs, talking to a lot of different people. And what they've found is that <laughs> the police have really, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't be surprised, maybe we should be, I don't know. But a lot of things were missed and dropped and ignored uh, during the investigation of this disappearance. They've been able to get the official records and everything, and they are going to be doing this podcast about their work and trying to figure out what really, really, really happened to Paul Sanders. For example, I'm not going to... I, I I know just a little bit. They are under no obligation to tell me. That, although they have been, I don't think they've been telling me anything, and they certainly do not have any obligation to. Do. I'm always willing to offer my two cents. But 
Uh, this is their own project. I don't have anything to do with it. But it is a disappearance that was covered on Unfound. And just as an example, there are no records. I think I hope I'm going to get this right for Carrie and Jill. There are no records that any police officer ever filed that a chase ever took place. Even though, as you remember, going back to that episode, talking to Paul's sister, we talked about this uh, chase that happened. And the police say that, said they had to call it off because the weather got really, really bad and it got unsafe and it was raining. They were hydroplaning and everything else. They had to call it off. We're now not sure, or at least Carrie, Jill, and Paul's sister are now not sure that ever happened. So once again, the podcast is going to be called Missing Chapters. It's going to be coming out here later in April on Paul's birthday. I don't know who's uh, – I don't know if they have a hosting company or, or whatever else. I don't know how you're going to be accessing it. I'm hoping – yeah. Okay, so now Jill's going to correct me. Oh, no, there was definitely a chase and an offer messed up and didn't write a report. But we have documentation of a chase from another jurisdiction. All right, so there you go. Already, I'm going to getting corrected, so I'm just going to stay out of this. Um, you should listen to it. Uh, Jill, maybe you can type in the chat here, where is this, uh, where is your podcast going to be playing? Uh, how will people be able to access it and listen to it and everything else? Please put that in the chat, and then I will read it because I don't want to mess up again. <laughs> um uh, Angelic says, congrats, ladies. Kathy, way to go, Carrie and Jill. Sharice says, can't wait. Very exciting, Carrie and Jill. Missing chapters, Jill. Okay. Hmm. Rockford says, I'll check it out for sure. First, I'm going to catch up on the Unfound episode for the case. I'll see if Marty wants to join me on this part of the quest. That's a think tank reference from yesterday. Uh, what Rockford is mentioning, Rockford is a uh, think tank member, as is Marty. I don't think he's in here tonight. But uh, both of them, being that I guess they're kind of new to Unfound, they're slowly working their way through the unfound catalog. And I think they're both starting at the beginning. Well, not only are there like 300 some episodes, but we know the average length of an unfound episode is like two hours. That's a lot of listening time. So it is sort of a quest. It's like trying to go find uh, the Holy Grail. But I appreciate that, Rockford. Yeah, Paul Sanders, uh, that must have been like the beginning of last year. Um, last year the beginning of last year rockford so early 2022 i think is when that episode came out i think so um uh rockford episode friend found is hot pursuit yeah joe you got to give me some info so i can tell everybody where they can find uh the work that you and carrie and paul's sister uh, are doing everybody wants to hear that so that is a disappearance, though. Of course, it's an unfound episode. Go listen to that. It is on the Charlie Project. And I think it's on NamUs too. So um, check it out. This will be a first. Uh, an assistant starting her own uh, podcast, of course, with help from others. That is a first, and I, I could not be more thrilled for it. And I will certainly uh, listen to it myself. Uh, moving on, uh, you know, somebody, uh, maybe Deborah, was it you yesterday uh, that um, sent me, uh, was that in the think tank or something? 
just asked me a very simple question. I think it was Deborah. Maybe it was somebody else. Why are there so many disappearances? It's a very, very straightforward. Um, why are there so many disappearances? What is going on? When you look at the statistics and, and everything else, why are there so many? Uh, to answer that question, uh, this is probably a question that would have been good for the Q&A episode, but too late for that. First of all, we have to realize that we are talking about a country with 330 million people. And even if uh, we were to go back to the year that I was born, uh, 1970, there were still like, you know, I don't know. Has the United States, I don't think the population has doubled in my lifetime. Maybe it has. But, you know, there were a lot less people, fewer people, less people, fewer people. Um Back when I was born, but still it was like 200 million or something or 180 million or some crazy number. Um, that plays a huge role in these numbers. When you're going to have a country with that many people and those people have a lot of freedom and they have cars and money and everything else, it stands to reason a lot of people are going to go missing for a lot of different reasons. Whether by accident, whether by murder, or you know, it's just, it just, it's just a matter of numbers. It's just a numbers game. Unfortunately, when you have a lot of people, you're going to have a lot of disappearances. Um, now you may say, well, what about China? I don't even know what the disappearance stats are for China with its over one billion people. But you have to remember, they're going to be skewed because China, its government, disappears people. It'll still show up, you know. Knock door three in the morning and just take people away. That's a thing. So I don't even know how I would even gauge if any of their numbers are true or not. But what have we learned a lot um, over the last six and a half years regarding disappearances and why there are so many disappearances? I think, first of all, we've learned that a lot of people are hiding a lot. Not hiding physical stuff, but hiding mental stuff. Hiding emotional stuff. They're hiding that their marriage is falling apart. That uh, you know, a, a woman is hiding the fact that her husband is very abusive. A husband is hiding the fact that he's cheating on his wife. There is a lot of hiding and lying going on out there in our everyday lives. And this is one of those reasons you should not get caught up in seeing how other people's lives are on Facebook and social media and everything else. There's just a lot of people hiding stuff. And then that stuff, it gets too much to hide, and then something happens. A disappearance happens. The woman who's been not telling anybody that her, her husband's abusive, he eventually kills her. Well, it's a shock to everybody. Well, I don't know what happened. Well, you know, but then maybe you find out, well, yeah, he was beating his wife the whole time, for example. It's just an example. Um, relationships. People are hiding a lot. Relationships are hiding a lot. People are prone to violence given particular stimuli. In addition, we as humans are smart and creative, meaning sometimes when murders are committed, people come up with very uh, creative ways in trying and making the victims disappear. Whether it's hiding them on their own property or something else, that's a huge factor in all of this. Uh, people can be evil, but they're also creative. 
Addictions alter brain function. This is, uh, I keep talking about this, this is the taking up more and more of that slice of that huge a pie that I've talked about regarding disappearances. We have more and more addicts than ever. This certainly means we're going to have more disappearances. We're going to have more violence uh, regarding those types of people. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of people who are depressed, a lot of people who are managing mental health issues and not doing a very good job of it. Uh, you know, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of things put together. That's why people go missing. And when all of that is going on in a, in a country of 300 million people, you're going to have a lot of disappearances. It's just the way the numbers work out. Um, we also, in, the ta- in addition to everything else, in the United States at least, we have a lot of, even though there's 330 million people here, we have a lot of land that's unused. <laughs> if you've ever flown to coast to coast, you know there's a lot of land out there where bodies could be put and be never found. We are not living here in the United States in Hong Kong where every square inch is covered by a building. We're not living in Monte Carlo where every square inch is has buildings. You know, uh, you know, we can maybe think of some other places like that. This also makes it much easier for disappearances to happen. This is why uh, this is why we have so many disappearances in the United States. States. If we had a lot fewer people, would have a lot fewer disappearances. If the United States was only the size of Hong Kong and and everything, then it would be harder uh, to hide people, and you know maybe our murder numbers would go up because you can't hide bodies. And if people were depressed or something else. Uh, it would be harder maybe for them to hide themselves if they were choosing to commit suicide or something. In the United States, we also have uh, the ability to go coast to coast without having to show any papers to anybody. It's, uh, you know, that's a, you, you know, you have to remember how large the United States is. And you can just travel anywhere. You know, really, uh, you just get in a car. You don't even need to have a driver's license. As long as you never get pulled over, you don't have to worry about having insurance or light driver's license or anything else. It all adds up. That's the country we live in. I'm just talking from my own country. I'm not going to try to get into Canada or New Zealand or anywhere else. But here in the United States, that's why we have so many missing people. Uh, Let me see what everybody say. Paul Sanders. There you go. Thank you. I knew it early 22. I, I'm glad I got that right. Um, Jill says, even new information as of today regarding Paul Sanders, because I apparently have a connection to somebody who went to Mesa High School at, some, at the same time. Look at you. Um, yeah, give me your theory. Okay. Yeah, Rockford, you have to listen to that. Kathy, I'm totally curious your thoughts. I have my own, but always open to others. Okay, Jill. Uh, at the next Think Tank, we'll talk about it. Uh, Angelic, I just started following true crime in uh, October. The Okamogie 4, and all I do now is the rabbit holes of cases. Hooked, sad, but intriguing. Yeah, be careful about those rabbit holes, uh, and Angelic. Uh, make sure you leave some breadcrumbs so you can find your way back out. Uh, MT said, I would like to be a part of the think tank, but there's family dinner that I'm committed to, West Coast. 
You got to start lobbying for a different time, MT, for that dinner. <laughs> Fairy Hand Rules books got me into true crime after I realized many serial killers were living in the Pacific Northwest near where I lived. How about that? Um, Rockford says, speaking of stuff, hiding stuff, addiction, and probably depression, I just listened to the Ashley Kohler episode. Now, there's an eye-opening episode for a parent, yeah. And I revisited that one too, Rockford. Maybe you want to listen to the revisited one as well. That was like within the last year and a half. Uh, It's not a disappearance that I mentioned very much when I'm comparing because it's just a little unique. But... um, Wow, was it, was that a young woman, a girl who just completely dropped off the map? As soon as uh, she found out that her mother knew she was a call girl, boy, that was it. Just don't know, you know. I don't. Um, Angelic says I agree with you and think isolation in the last two years has made it worse. Yeah. Uh, missing, uh, hello, the missing chapter at work, but listening as I can, I, that must be Carrie. Fairy, it should be good. Your podcast, new slogan, relationships are killers. It should be your podcast, new slogan, relationships are killers. Yeah, well, I don't know if people just thinking that because it's factual or just because uh, they know that I'm single, Fairy. Um, Kathy, I empty, I hear you. When my husband was alive and kids growing up many years ago, I wouldn't have been too, I would have been too busy in the think tank. Yeah, well, we try to have it as, you know, it's going to any time for the think tank uh, is going to be bad for somebody. Uh, what else is there to do in the Pacific Northwest Ferry? Oh, oh my, oh my. Uh, whoops, was logged into wrong account. That's okay, Carrie. Uh, sure, sure, ticking people off. Uh, I also want to say one more thing before I get to this Friday's episode. Brian Patrick Miller was found guilty. Uh, in the, those killings from 1992 and 93, uh, the Phoenix canal killings guilty on all counts, but we have to remember that his conviction has nothing to do with the disappearance of Brandy Myers, uh, who is believed to have been one of his victims. Of course, the question is why were these, uh, two girls found Angela Brasso and, and Melanie Bernas, but Brandy was not. But he was convicted uh, there in Arizona. It took a while for him to be brought to trial. If you remember, um, he was known as the zombie killer because he was going to like comic book conventions, and that's what he labeled himself, and he would dress up and everything. Well, he ended up actually not being a zombie killer. He actually ended up being a human killer in real life. So um, good thing that he is now behind bars. And one more thing, I'm going to be sending out another survey within the next week. And this one is going to be for everybody in the discussion group. So the first two were sent to everybody on the email list. This one is going to be a link in the discussion group. And I realize you're both, so many of you are on the email list and in the discussion group. But this survey is going, I mean, maybe a couple questions will be the same. But still, I'm going to post the link. I hope you all who are in the discussion group will take the time. I'm going to not try to make it too intricate. I don't want to take up all your day answering questions. But um, I I hope you'll take some time. Uh, Hopefully it won't take you more than like 10, 15, 20 minutes to fill out the answers. 
But I'm going to make that survey. It will be posted in the discussion group, and I'm hoping a lot of people will take part. Once again, just as we continue to do market research, audience research, here at Unfound, uh, maybe one of the only podcasts that, that does that, but uh, I think it's a good idea for what we are doing uh, here. Um, I think that's all I have time for tonight. Might have to push a couple of these things to next week. I almost got to talk about the smiley face killers again uh, regarding some things that are going on. I don't, I don't have time to read the article, but some things going on in Austin, Texas. Found an article with four different young men uh, found in a body of water, and now the smiley face killer is getting the hoax is getting mentioned again. I can only shake my head. It's it's disgusting. Um, uh, Fair, I was quoting you. You said that tonight. I get it, Fair. I get it. No, I I, I realize that. I realize you're quoting me. I get it. But I, I was answering you in a little bit of a joking manner. Certainly relationships are killers. I think we've shown that on Unfound. But I also think that maybe a lot of people who know I'm single will start saying, no wonder Ed says that. <coughs> Kathy says, Rockford, Ashley Kohler disappeared from Riverside County, where I now live. She claimed to go to Sun City, a retirement community six miles north of me. I think she overdosed drug problem. Okay, another nudge. Uh, toward the Facebook vortex. I'll go there one of these days. It's okay, Rockford. Um, I'm just, you know, trying, you know, that's where a lot of the listeners are. So that's where I have to be to get the answers I'm looking for. Um, yes. Okay. All right. This Friday, we we're just in New Zealand a couple weeks ago. We are now going to Wales. You're so weird. Go all these years only on North American continent, then not technically two weeks in a row, but two disappearances in a row. Disappearances in a row. We go outside of the continent. I don't know why that is. It's just the way it worked out. But um, friend of the podcast, Heather Grotman is coming back. This will be her fifth appearance. It's been over a year since she was on. Uh, the other four disappearances she was on here for were Christy Nichols, Dub and Chance Wackerhagen, uh, Dale Kerstetter, and Nyleen Marshall. Uh, Heather is the creator and writer researcher at lot, the Lost and Found Blogs.com. So Lost in, just an N, Lost and Found Blogs.com. I think she told me during the interview that she now has 33 different blog posts there. So 33 different cases, some of them solved, many of them not. And I had, I don't know, I had messaged her maybe six weeks ago and said, you know, Heather, you haven't been on in a while. Uh, you know, I think it's time. Love to have you back on. And why don't you pick something out? And this is what she picked. The disappearance of Treveline Evans from Langothlin, Wales in the United Kingdom. Treveline Evelyns uh, was a 52-year-old woman uh, my age. This disappearance happened in June on June 16th of 1990. Langothlin is a very, very small town in Wales, about 3,000 people. Treveline had grown up there, and she had owned an antique store for about a year. And one day, it was a Saturday, June 16th, 1990, she was 
uh, at her store. She had some customers come in. A friend of hers came in, talked to her. And then seemingly Trevelyn left. Uh, she left her store. She locked the door. She put a sign up on there saying, be back in two minutes. And she was never seen again. She left her purse there. She left the compact out, like a makeup thing out on the counter. Her car was still there. Doesn't look like there was any signs of violence or anything stolen, anything broken or anything. But it seems she just locked up and walked off. But even though she had the sign, be back in two minutes. There were some sightings from her, but you'll have to decide whether you believe these sightings or not. And so, and her, she was married. However, her husband's alibi has been verified. He was 30 miles away at the summer home, a house that they had just bought. In fact, they were in the process of trying to sell their home in Langothlin so they could move to this other location. But she was never seen again. And the title of this episode is Little Shop of Mysteries. So I'm playing off Little Shop of Horrors. This is the Little Shop of Mysteries because she did have this little antique shop. And, you know, we have this, her purse was there. Why did she leave her purse behind? Why was that compact out on the counter? Um, Why did she lock up? Why did she put this little note on the door saying she'd be back in two minutes being that she didn't come back in two minutes, where could she have gone? That is the title of this episode. Little Shop of Mysteries. Trevelyn Evans, uh, there's some YouTube videos out about her disappearance as well. You may want to check those out. I will be doing a map video as well uh, for this just to show you the different locations where she was, where she lived, and all of that. There is a river that goes through Langothlin, but... It is pretty shallow, so it would be hard for somebody to drown in it if you're thinking about that. So that's all I got tonight. That is the live show. Um, I think I did a pretty dang good job tonight, if I do say so myself. Uh, what's everybody saying? Um, Sun City, Arizona, Rockford. Yes, another rabbit hole. We'll look forward to it. Um, there we go. Uh, Rockford says, yes, I heard, knew I heard that name before. That's the antique shop case. Forgot it was Wales. Very similar to Patrice Andrews case in Georgia. Maybe I, and I recognize the name. That's it. But that's all I got for tonight. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for the comments, the answers, your movies, and everything else. Thank you for the support. Please uh, consider signing up as a Patreon member or right here on YouTube. And keep your heads on swivels out there, people. And good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Charlie, say hi to the kids for me. Good night.